appreciate this morning. Um, if I could, I'd like to, to, to start in prayer, kick things off, and um, I'll, introduce, uh, I'll introduce our speaker. Okay. You would please bow your head. Dear Lord, thank you so much for letting us gather together letting us be nurtured by each other's fellowship and and the things that you have brought into our lives uh, since we last met. Help us uh, be attuned to each other and be attuned to Ryan this morning in a way that we can see you in each person that we come into contact with. And if we don't come into physical contact and we come into some other kind of contact, help us just hear what you would have us hear and see what you would have us see. Thank you so much for the sacrifices you made so that we might live in a free country, that we might live in a country where we get to walk with each other and journey closer to you. In that name, amen. 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 So I, uh, I hope it, I had a coffee accident this morning. I didn't, our coffee, we have, we have two coffee pots. We have the caffeinated coffee pot and the decaffeinated coffee pot. This is me decaffeinated, so you can see why I'm not allowed to have much of the caffeine. But there was a red blinking light. I was like, what does that red blinking light mean? I've never noticed that before. It was not good news. There's rarely a good red blinking light. If the, red, <laughs> if the light is blinking, red might mean it's recording, it's doing what it's supposed to do. But a blinking light is never good news. So I started the day with a coffee incident. I have no idea what this is, but it is extra powerful. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know how you guys got your breakfast together. Uh, we're still figuring out under what conditions we could have breakfast at the church together. Um, towards the end, if we have time, I would like to get a little input from folks around uh, how you feel about social distancing and if you were at church on Sunday. So we'll, we'll do all that kind of discussion at the end. Um, I want to start off here, though, by, by thanking everybody for joining in. Uh, Jeff, thank you for being here this morning as the pastor in residence, lest we get into a theological conundrum, um, and uh, you'll be able to help us uh, un untie that knot. Um, I first met Ryan, I think Cammie said there's going to be a new guy at choir tonight, you know, don't scare him off. <laughs> and uh, I said, okay, what's, what's the story? And she said, well, he sung in the Michael O'Neill Singers. And he and his wife are looking around at other churches. So I was like, that's a winner. I like, uh, I, I like to t talk to people who know Michael O'Neill and are possibly willing to see him more than one night a week. Um, and I think this was probably after Mike, as Michael had already started to retire, um, and from the church at least. And so I met Ryan. I think, I don't know if I sat next to you. I think you had the good sense to have someone between you and me. But um, uh, I got to know him a little bit in, in the church choir. And as I've learned more and more about him, I realized now he's the young guy, and I'm, therefore I must be the old guy. And I don't know when that happened, but somewhere along the way, when you pick up a son-in-law, you are no longer the young guy in the relationship. Now you're the older guy in a relationship. So I know many of you have experienced that. So I hope this morning you will warmly welcome the opportunity to hear from somebody who's at a different part of the life cycle, who sees things from a different part of the roller coaster of life right now. And his generation is going through some stuff that is uh, really remarkable. Um, so um, I, I know Michael and his wife, his Lauren has played in the Bells uh, choirs a couple of times. 
And so, um, and is involved in um, the garden that's out at the edge of the parking lot uh, down by the big sanctuary. And so it's been great to see a new young couple plug in. Um, Ryan pushes the average age of the tenor section down two or three years just by himself. So um, it's really nice to have uh, fresh perspective. Uh, you've seen him probably if you've watched an 11 o'clock service, um, he's been the designated tenor. And so um, it's really great to have him here this morning. But when he gave a choir devotional at our retreat last summer, I said, if you speak like that from your heart, I want you to come speak at men's breakfast. And so here you are almost a year later. And so um, let me introduce you to Ryan Murphy. Ryan, raise your hand here so everybody can do that. You can change your mode, but I like leaving it up here where I can see as many people as possible. Um, I'm going to let everybody use their own good judgment about if you're muted or not. Um, I noticed last time when Jimmy said something funny, he could see us laugh, even if he couldn't hear us laugh. But um, use your own good judgment. And if somebody has a dog noise or whatever, I'll try and I'll try and police that if, uh, if it gets out of hand. So Ryan, thank you so much for starting off what will be a full day for you, I know, um, with uh, the men's breakfast. Well, thank you for inviting me to, to be here. And I, guys, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to share some of my experience, some of my faith journey with you. Um, let me pull up this Word document because I have to stay organized. I don't want to ramble. Um, so um, for those of you who are interested, I'm originally from a suburb of Chicago, Illinois, um, a little town called Crystal Lake. Um, about 15-20 minutes from the Wisconsin border. Um, I was raised in Crystal Lake. Um, my parents had me go to Sunday school um, during seventh and eighth grade. I participated in confirmation classes. Um, this was for, uh, I was raised Lutheran and uh, went through confirmation in seventh and eighth grade. And throughout high school, I participated in our church's youth group. It became a very formative experience for me. Um, we got to talk, talking to, uh, to each other about a lot of what was going on in our life and how, how our faith, how Christ's teachings, um, applied, um, and to be honest, like whether they applied, um, because when you're that age, you're questioning everything. And to be frank, I haven't really outgrown that. Um, and, uh, you'll see how, the, how that isn't very uncommon. Um, and I hope it's not very uncommon uh, amongst you all as well. The, the natural curiosity of how our faith fits in with our, our life outside of the church. Um, now, uh, faith and spiritualism was a, was a very um, interesting topic for me in high school and college. Um, particularly when it involved fellowship with other men. Um, I struggled to, to relate to other boys growing up because I wasn't terribly interested in sports. Um, my dad had me participate in several uh, soccer and t-ball and baseball leagues, um, but I never really connected with that. I was more of, I, I was a bookworm, I was a musician, so a lot of my friends growing up, up uh, through middle school were girls. 
Um, but in high school, I got involved in theater and some of the, the men in it sort of took me under their wing and I formed some really, really impactful relationships with them. I remember a lot of uh, evenings spent around the bonfire just talking about life and what does it mean to be a man. Um, we had some lofty ideas, we had some not so lofty ideas, but that fellowship was really, really formative. Um, and same thing when I went into college. Um, my second semester, I became a part of FAMU Alpha Symphonia uh, fraternity. And um, that was a, an experience that shaped my college experience. I ended up being uh, vice president of the chapter my final two full uh, calendar years at Illinois State University. Um, but to be honest, as I went to college, um, faith took a back seat. Um, I didn't, I was three hours away from home. I didn't have a church home at college, but when, after about a year or so of dating my girlfriend, who would be my wife, Lauren, um, we started to search out for a church to go to. Um, it was very important to her, um, probably more important than it was to me, uh, but I, I went along and it, it was an interesting search. We never really found a place because not only were we faithful people, we were musicians. And I remember one day walking up to a church and the, the doors were open and we heard synthesizer coming out of it. Not cool synthesizer, cheesy early 90s Christian music synthesizer. And we did not set foot in that church. We turned around in the parking lot and got in our car and went, went back to our apartment. Um, and so maybe that was a little snobbish on our, our, our part, but um, music was very important to us. And if, if the music was not good, then our experience we knew would not be good because um, we couldn't keep our minds off of it. Um, since 2015, uh, feedback i think we've got that under control um sorry alex i think you and i were playing tug of war with your mute um go ahead ryan sorry for that no it's okay um since i've been in georgia um i moved here in 2013 um i've been a part of uh rumc is my third church um the first one was my wife's childhood church uh in austell um, we were very briefly involved there. Um, and then for several years, we were involved in another uh, smaller UMC in Marietta, on the, on the east end of Marietta. And being involved uh, at that UMC, we were, uh, we were worship leaders. Um, we played music for a, uh, a contemporary service and we participated in that for several years. Um, the pastor there, uh, gave me a, a role of being a task force leader on how to expand the church, how to make the, the worship experience more meaningful, how to bring in young people. And 
being a young person in the church is really, uh, really a label that has, has fit me for a long time. I, whenever I'm in a church setting, it's, uh, I'm acknowledged as a young person in the church. And that always, hasn't always been a comfortable label uh, because it, it brings into question, well, why aren't there more young people in the church? Because I'm a bit of a unicorn. I'm something everyone wants to see, but sometimes you just don't see it and you don't believe in it because it's so, so rare. Um, Jim Coyle, would you mind muting, please? Thank you. Um, and so I want to talk to you a little bit about young people and the church. Now, granted, my, what I'm going to say is my experience. And so I want to put that caveat out there. But I do not think that my experience is incredibly uncommon. I do not think that it is rare. Um, bring up that outline again. Um, now, I'm always glad to be in a faith setting. But being that young person often feels inherently awkward, as I, as I said. Um, young people are leaving churches. That's not something new. Uh, young people are leaving churches. And that, I believe we all have a fear in the back of our heads of, well, what happens in another generation or so if people don't start coming back to church? If these young people, as they become older people, what, what happens if they don't start coming back to church? And so I, I want to address some of the aversion that young people, uh, particularly myself, um, have had with church because I, I've wrestled with it. Um, when I came to RUMC, I, I wasn't completely sold. And I had some doubts. Um, and I, I don't think anyone should be completely without doubt. I don't think anyone should be in a place where they can't question or they're comfortable not questioning. Um, but again, before I diverge, let's stick to the topic of young people. Um, a pastor that I had uh, a few years ago said this truism, and it sounded like a truism, and I, I, felt, uh, I felt I understood it. And that truism was, the reason young people are leaving church is because they've been to church. Now, what does that mean? They're leaving because they've been there. I would argue that it is that they don't know, A, how they fit in to the church, and also they aren't certain how the church fits into their life, how it applies. Um, and when we are not specific about that, when we don't communicate those things, it makes it really hard for those young people to come in and to stay. Now, the world advertises so much to us, whether it's media of one kind or another. Um, so many of our interactions are based on advertising, trying to convince someone to partake in this experience, to purchase this good, to watch this TV show. And 
the experience of a church service is an experience like that. Um, young people and I would say everyone who, who has experienced the past 50 years of, of American society knows what's it, what it's like to be uh, advertised to. And we've been advertised products, we've been advertised experiences. And so how do, how do we break that, that white noise? How do we get a message across? And what is that message? Young people desire authenticity. They want to see how belief begets action. How does your engaging in this one thing change the quality of your life or the quality of another person's life? How does, how does the idea translate to real application? Now you can argue that I watch a TV show because I enjoy the characters, I enjoy the story, I enjoy the material. I might not particularly love the, the premise, but the writing is really good. But when we get to church, we, we preach that it is a, an all-encompassing thing. Faith is all-encompassing. It should be something that you believe in and it affects how you treat the world around you and how you view it. And we have to be, we have to recognize that fact because I'm sure we can all think of someone or a handful of someone's who we know go to church and then maybe go to brunch after church and don't tip the waitress or skimp on that tip or they get upset with, with somebody unnecessarily. They, they might, or they might not even uh, give money to the church, but, but they go every Sunday, they check that box. Young people want authenticity. They want to see the cause to the effect. They want that community where they can see Christ in the people around them and in the acts of service that we do. RUMC is very good from what I've seen, much better than a lot of churches on service. I'll, I'll come back to that in, in a little bit. Um, but again, we're, we're looking at how belief begets action. What does it do? How does faith, how does our church impact the world around us? Um, Sorry, my, my notes, I wrote at 10 o'clock last night, and uh, I don't think I was entirely awake at that, at that point. Um, now, outside of the authentic uh, desire of, of, of young people, um, we're also dealing with the image of the church that they have seen in public. And speaking as a young person, I was, I'm about to date myself. I was born in October of 1989, and so I experienced the 90s as a child. And um, a lot of the church in uh, public discourse had to do with the church's participation um, through cancel culture. Uh, does anyone, is anyone unsure what cancel culture is? Raise your hand if you don't know what it is and would like me to go over what it is. Okay, so cancel culture 
is where you find out that someone, uh, particularly in the public eye, does something that you fundamentally disagree with or you fundamentally abhor. And so that could be um, you find out that the shampoo brand that you've been using for decades uh, tests on, let's say, monkeys. And you don't think that monkeys should be tested on because uh, they don't know what's going on and the chemicals could potentially be harmful to them. You, you think that's inhumane. So then you stop buying that shampoo and you go to another one that uses humane practices. You just canceled that shampoo brand because of something that they do. We find that a lot today. And I'm gonna segue into, from cancel culture, into um, disapproval of social trends. Um, the church was very, uh, some churches, I should say, some churches were very disapproving of certain books, like the Harry Potter series. When Harry Potter first came out, I heard, uh, it, it was one of my favorite book series. It got, it was one of those series that inspired me to read, but I heard in the news that churches hated Harry Potter because they said it taught their children to be witches, that it glorified magic, which was satanic. I heard that, and having read the books, I was like, what in the world do you mean? Have you even read these things? It's a several thousand page long treatise on, in, on rejecting intolerance and accepting people. A lot of those people that believe that because it was, it had to do with magic, they canceled it. They would not participate in it. They would not read it. They did not go along with, uh, they did not follow uh, the movies at all. They refused to participate in it. Fast forward to today and um, the author JK Rowling has recently made some uh, political um, posts on social media regarding um, identity politics, um, which have been divisive. And some people even now are saying that they will never read Harry Potter again because of her stance on these issues. Um, now, regardless of whether or not you agree with her, um, her stance is problematic when she is the, the author of a series that features tolerance. Um, and so, that. sorry, Siri thought I was talking to her. Um, and so we see cancel culture going through these, through, through decades, because the first Harry Potter book came out in 1997. Um, so the church has been participating in cancel culture and not just in, not just in books, through music, through movies, um, sometimes more justified than others. Um, and I've often, growing up, I often saw church involved in politics, um, getting involved, uh, again, as I said, in identity politics and saying that such and such people are living outside of the, the image of God and they are inherently evil because of that. And so young people like my age, a lot of our experience of church in media has been a church that is disapproving, that is disapproving of people who are non-traditional, who are different from the usual. And so 
that's really at that's really dissonant from Christ's teachings to what we young people have seen from the church. And so that that is a reality that we have to we have to grapple with. Um, I, I recently heard a quote um, about uh, the church's role in the world today, uh, particularly politics. And I want to share that with you, th this, th this with you. And it's the, the statement that faith has to be more than a stance on abortion and same-sex marriage. The people in a church cannot 100% agree on these issues. I, I, would, I would challenge anyone to find a church that is 100% in agreement that accepts people of differing views. And so coming into a church, as I came into RUMC, I came into RUMC because I wanted to, to have an experience through music. It's how I relate to people. It's where I find God. But when I walked into RUMC for my first service, I had all of this stuff in my mind. I was wondering, is this an accepting community? Are they going to, to be accepting of various viewpoints on a lot of the issues that are current today? Um, are we going to be focused on Christ or, or are we going to be focused on earthly politics, on earthly matters, shunning, uh, shunning certain media because of arbitrary um, arbitrary components such as the use of magic and fantasy literature. Magic and fantasy isn't anything new, folks. It's going to be it's going to be around, and the church has to has to deal with that one way or the other, and deal with the consequences of making that choice. Now, um, another thing that has come up really recently for young people um, and really everyone is the issue of social justice and some of that our church and the, the Christian church at large needs to deal with is the fact that Christian churches in America have largely st stood silent on issues of social justice because of the reasoning that to get involved in politics would dilute the message of the church. It would, it would uh, align the church one way or the other. Unfortunately, silence declares a, an allegiance. Uh, I think the, the band Rush, how many of you listened to, uh, to Rush with uh, Getty Lee and Neil Peart uh, back in the, the 1970s and 1980s? Did anyone listen to Rush? Okay, thank you. Um, there's, a, there's a lyric that says, um, you can choose not to decide, but you still have made a choice. I, I may be paraphrasing there. And so the, the church has largely stood silent on, on social justice issues. Um, and we can't deny our role in that because our, our sacred text, the Bible, has been used and abused so much in the past to justify so much ugliness. The Bible was used to justify slavery. It was used to justify segregation. 
and to deny its role in those issues is to deny fact. And young people today are still looking around at, at the church wondering, where do, you, uh, where do you stand on this? And walk, myself walking into RUMC, I looked around at that congregation uh, for the first time from the choir loft. So I got a good view of the congregants. And I can count on one hand how many people of color were in the congregation. RUMC is a very white church. That is a fact. And that is something that, a lot, that affects a lot of churches and young people who understand Christ's teachings to involve the acceptance of others wonder about that. The, I, I realize that 11 o'clock is probably the most segregated hour of the week. It's usually that white people go to white churches and black people go to black churches, and it's not because we just feel more comfortable with people of our, our same complexion. There are a lot of political, political maneuvers in decades long past that put people of different races in, in different uh, communities, and you build your church where your community is. And if, you're, if there were laws passed that said, uh, black people need to live over here and white people live over here, then the churches that grow up in those communities are naturally gonna be segregated. And young people who have lived in a time far separate from the, when the civil rights movement actually happened in the 1960s, we, we, have, we stand here wondering, why is this still a thing? I, I was very proud of RUMC a couple of weeks ago. Um, I did not watch the 11 o'clock service. I instead chose to tune into Chapel Roswell um, when I found out that um, they would be hosting uh, Pastor Lee Jenkins. Some of, uh, I've heard that some of you have, have gotten to hear him speak. Um, I was very proud of the fact that RUMC was willing to sit down with a black faith leader and listen. It, uh, Pastor Joe, he took a very passive role in that message, which I thought was a wonderful, wonderful example, because so often we want to justify, we want to justify our perspective when presented with a perspective that isn't our own. And I, I was so proud that not only we were open to hearing what a, a faith leader of color had to say, I was proud that Pastor Joe just asked questions. He sought to understand. He sought to listen and beget understanding. And I think something that he, he pointed out, that he made a, a topic of, of his talk, really gets to a foundation, a foundational issue in young people's engagement with the church. And that is um, the axes of righteousness and justice. Because the Christian church teaches both, righteousness and justice. 
And Pastor Jenkins' perspective is that often white churches focus on righteousness. Are you good with the man upstairs? Are you living your, your life in a way that would please God? And on the opposite side of the coin, on the, other, on the flip side, often churches of color, black churches, focus on the horizontal relationship of justice. Are you good with the people around you? Have you been doing good by them? Many of the issues that, that I raised with young people's perspective and impressions of the church at large have to do with that relationship of righteousness, how we uh, as a church judge others based on our criteria. Are you good with God? If you fall somewhere else on the spectrum of sexuality and you aren't a straight person, you, are, you aren't a man that's attracted to women, you aren't a woman that's attracted to men, then there's a problem with that vertical relationship and there's a problem with you. That's an image that young people have seen. Conversely, standing as a person in the church, if I turn to my, if I turn to my neighbor and say, there's a problem with you because you're not, you don't have as strong a connection with God as I do, or as I've been taught to, to have, that means I'm not, I, I'm not doing justice by that person. I'm, I'm neglecting part of Christ's teachings, part of the, the church's teachings in favor, I don't know, of, of an ability to, to discern, to make myself feel better, that I'm living in the in, within the bounds of the teaching that I've been taught. So young people want to see how belief begets action. They want to see when they walk into your church that they're welcome, that, that not only can they do right by you, but that you're going to try to do right by them. And if you're, if you're still wondering um, why it's a bad thing to, to look at someone's righteousness with God, to, to see their actions and, and well, why should, why should I be accepting of, of someone who does something that the, the book of Leviticus outlaws, says is just not okay. You can't do that. Why, why shouldn't there be some level of understanding that that's bad? Well, we've disagreed on, on teaching for centuries. Uh, you can look at the Christian faith and just see the, see the history there, starting from, from Martin Luther saying, here's the problems I have with the Catholic Church, to everyone else starting their own offshoots of Christianity. We've all had dis different priorities, and so it's nothing new. And what I'm asking, or what I'm saying is that we need to be very intentional and specific in how we represent our church, in how we communicate to, to the public. Um, 
I uh, just yesterday I had a reading for my my intro to grad studies class that talked about the need for specificity for precision in thought and language. Um, two teachers, I'll use an example, two teachers can say that something that defines them as teachers is their compassion for students. They care about their students. And let's say they teach English. They teach English. And so one teacher, because they care about their students, takes a, a whole language approach to teaching a student how to read and write. And so they don't correct every spelling mistake because they, they just want the student to develop a relationship with engaging with the language and writing and speaking. They just want that child to, to develop that positive relationship. So they're not gonna nitpick their spellings. The other teacher nitpicks every spelling because they want their student, they care about their student and when that student grows up and has to submit job applications, they don't want that student to misspell a word and potentially embarrass themselves in front of a future employer. Both of those teachers care about their students, but it results in two very different practices and the manifestation of different actions. And so we have to be very precise in how we think about what we want out of young people and how we imagine bringing young people into the church will affect our community. Are we, real, are we willing to change a little bit of what we do to bring in the next generation so that they can have a meaningful connection with their faith? Um, I have to applaud each and every one of you for hopping on a Zoom meeting early on a Thursday morning. That's more than a lot of people do with their church. A lot of people like to check the box. I went to church on Sunday morning and they don't think about it again until the next Sunday morning. You've shown that you want to engage with faith. And that is, that is one of many positive things I've seen at RUMC. But we also need to make sure that other young people see it and that we might be willing to do a little bit more and to ask them, what is it that you want out of your church? How can we make our church more relevant to the lives of young people? Not only so that we can make a difference, but so that we pass on our faith into the future. We've been, we've, been carrying the we've been carrying the torch. Well, I, I should say, you all have been carrying the torch and I, I'm, I'm trying to, to pick it up. I, I, think I, I think I've got my hand on it, but I'm just one guy and it's a very heavy, very large torch. And we also have to embrace the idea that church may change. We, we look at, at past centuries, at how the church has changed since then. Um, e even though the, the church of many centuries ago um, is much more judgmental and, uh, and in cases violent than the church today, I still walk into an old church in England or Italy and I feel an immediate connection with the generations 
of people that worshipped there. But they were, my experience is very different from them. And people since them, since their time, have embraced change to keep Christ's message alive, to make its impact upon the world more meaningful, um, to, to bring about, uh, how do I want to say this? We've brought it out of the ethereal and into the real. The process of doing that isn't finished by any means. Our, our relationship with God, our, our prayers, our communication, our salvation, of course, are incredibly important. But that church of centuries ago, they focused very much on that. Are you good with God? If not, I'm going to burn you at the stake. I'm going to torture you till you say you accept Christ as your savior. We're not going to do that anymore in today's age because we understand that's wrong. We don't burn people for working on the Sabbath. We, we don't stone uh, or exile, um, sorry if, if this makes anyone uncomfortable, we don't exile menstruating women anymore because we understand that that isn't necessary and it's cruel. Isolation of any kind is cruel. And so we don't do those things, even though it's still in our Bible. We don't do them. We've let our church change. And so we might have to let it change a little bit more. And as we look at making, making changes, as we look at bringing in young people, again, we come back to that precision of thought and language. What is it that we want? What precisely is it that we want? It can't just be, we want to see more young people sitting in the pews on Sunday. It has to include, we want to see more young people in this Zoom meeting. We want to see more people serving food and interacting with our grocery program. And we have to let, we have to let young people know that those programs exist. We have to get it out there. Come be a part of this. Come be part of the good message. Oh, again, young people crave authenticity. So that precision has to be authentic. It can't be staged. It cannot be stilted. Because the moment it's stilted, young people are going to know, ah, I think they just want to get me into, their, in, into, their, into the church. I think they just want me to sit down and be another body and give them, give them money. Um, now, uh, I... I I told Eric to be, to be ready with, uh, with breakout groups. Um, but before we do that, I, I have a question. Speaking as a young person, um, I've been watching the, the, the services every Sunday. And at the end of the traditional services, Pastor Tom talks about how RUMC is a biblical community. I'm gonna be honest. I have no idea what he means. I have no clue. As I, as I brought to attention, as I brought attention to before, the Bible has been used for many bad things. It's been used to justify many, many bad things. And so what is a biblical community? 
what do you mean when you say we're a biblical community? Does that mean that I can't wear cloths of two different types? Or does it mean simply we believe in Christ's teachings? There is a lot of stuff in the Bible and that doesn't come from Christ. And so what does it mean? Is it all equal? We, as, as a young person, I don't know. And as I was talking about precision of thought and language, I'm wondering how many, how many of you share the exact same idea of what that is? Is it taught or is it something we just say? If we're going to be authentic, if we're going to be specific, if we're going to be precise in how we represent ourselves and make ourselves understood to young people so that they might want to engage, we have to be able to answer those questions. If not for the whole church at large, at least for ourselves. Um, I, I'm at the... the the end of my prepared remarks. Um, I, I realize that some of what I've said today um, may have made some of you feel uncomfortable. Um, and I, I sincerely want to uh, apologize if, if I made you feel uncomfortable today. Um, I, I wanted to speak from the heart um, to, to, to give you some perspective into uh, a young person's perspective of the church. Um, I don't know how accurate that is. Um, I listen uh, to the radio and I've listened to uh, polls and stuff posted. And they say that young people are age like 18 to 29. I no longer fit in that, that demographic, unfortunately. Um, so I don't know how accurate my young person credentials are. Um, <laughs> but I, what I hope is that I've given you something to, to think about, to, to mull over, um, I do want to leave you with, with this, and I do believe that Christ's teachings are relevant to our world today. They are incredibly relevant, but how we engage with them will partly define us as people of faith and will partly define us as a church. Because Christ's teachings don't exist in a vacuum. They don't exist in a bubble separate from everything else. They have to affect how we live our life. They have to affect how the church, how our UMC's life is lived. And to go forward and bring young people in, we have to be authentic. We have to be precise. Okay, I'm done. That lasted way longer than I thought it would. So Ryan, thank you so much for being willing to come speak from your heart this morning. And, um, I know you've given us some insights that will immediately make us think twice, maybe three times, maybe four times. When we talk to our son-in-law or someone else who's in our life who hasn't known us forever, but where we're called to be the hands, to be the voice, and sometimes just to be the ears for someone from another generation. Um, I should have introduced, I didn't know what Ryan was going to include or not. He is an elementary school teacher in music. He has had his world rocked this year. And to get to see someone at that stage of life going through changes that there's no way they could have prepared for a year ago 
but to see how they've been prepared for them, to see how they respond to situations that are beyond their control has been inspiring for me. I, when I see, you know, um, Ryan and I resonate in that we both find our closest moments to God through, through music. And that has been impactful. In the choir, we try and associate, give somebody a choir buddy pretty early on because you're a new member in a hundred people kind of organization and they seem to all know each other, right? And you're, you're the new person. So we try and give somebody a buddy to make certain they don't get lost in that. One of the things that we have been talking about as RUMC as a whole is trying to figure out how do we, what needs to change right now because we're not all gathering, you know, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people at a time anymore. What, what are our possibilities? One thing I want you all to consider, and I'm not going to break us up into small groups at this point, but I would like for you to find a buddy in this group. If you don't look, look on the participants list, pick someone out. If you don't have a contact for anybody on that list that comes to your mind, but I want you to find a buddy who was here this morning. And what I would like from you are two things. First of all, if you had a strong reaction, good or otherwise, to the service the, that we had on Sunday to that, to that gathering. Um, one thing I promised uh, the Kamisha we would do is I'm about to put in the, oh, wrong URL. I'm gonna put in the chat here the way we're gonna do attendance. Um, it will help us test this at the, uh, if we do this this morning, so if you will register your attendance by clicking on that link um, that you just got in your chat, uh, you don't have to do it right this minute, but if you click on the link now, at least you'll get the form um, that has the, the, the attendance thing for you to pick out. That will help. And the other thing is, would you be willing to join a new small group? I know many of you are in Sunday school classes, or maybe you have your own journey group, small group, accountability group, whatever you call your group of less than eight people. Maybe it's just guys, maybe it's mixed, maybe it's four couples. But I'm talking about a new one, a new one that's deliberately built to help you get to know maybe someone who's of a different generation, someone who looks different from you. Maybe it's just the neighbor that's five doors down that you don't even know about that's been to one, one RUMC event. If you would be willing to participate in a new small group, um, then, uh, or you have ideas about that, that would be great. So I, I'd like to collect that up um, between now and into next week. We have some meetings planned where we're just trying to, to shape what we can do next. Because what I heard over and over again, I've heard it from ministers over the years at RUMC is authenticity. None of us have all the answers. We don't even have all the questions. But together, when, when we explore this, God comes into our midst, and we're better than we were when we entered that experience. And when you share that with somebody, they're attracted to it. Doesn't mean you have all the answers. It just means that you're more engaged with God's creation, and he made each and every one of us different. Um, so, Ryan, you ready to close us out with some prayer? Um, well, before prayer, um, I just wanted to ask all of you, um, it would mean a lot to me if uh, you haven't already done this, um, to go to rumc.com slash activism. It is RUMC's activism page. Um, 
and it, it currently it's focusing on uh, issues of um, racial justice. And on that page is a is a recording of the service that Pastor Joe did with uh, Pastor Jenkins. And if you haven't seen it, please go watch it. If you if the music isn't your isn't your thing, please at least watch the conversation between Pastor Jenkins and Pastor Joe, because it it was a really meaningful experience for me, and I think that. Um, I think that it, it can be very uh, impactful for everyone in the church at large. Um, if, you, um, if you feel as uh, I, I look at all the faces I can see, and I notice that everyone in this group is white, if uh, talking about race is something that is uncomfortable for you, um, I encourage you to watch the other video on the activism page. Um, to, to help break down um, issue the issue of race, um, to understand um, like where where we might be coming from when we when we feel uncomfortable. Um, I, I certainly know I've been um, dealing with addressing uh, addressing assumptions of mine um, and uh, ideas that I've been taught um, lately. And, uh, and so that talk really got through to me on why is it that not just other people, but I myself feel uncomfortable talking about race. Um, and so definitely please watch the, the, the video with uh, Pastor Jenkins. And if, if race is a difficult topic, topic for you, there's a wonderful, uh, I believe it's a TED talk um, from a... Uh, a woman with her PhD in, uh, in these matters uh, that really breaks it down so that you can understand um, your, re your relationship to it and maybe break through some of that discomfort. Um, I guess I'll close this out in prayer. Thank you, Ryan. Lord, thank you for the opportunity for us to gather here today we may be gathered remotely, but we are also gathered in spirit. I pray that my words today may be heard with, with understanding and acceptance and that my words may have a positive impact on those who have heard them. I pray that all these, these men that have gathered today to interact with each other and with your spirit they go forth and be bettered through their common experience, through their fellowship. Please keep our family safe, keep us healthy, and guide our, guide our nation so that we may better fulfill your image. Amen. Gentlemen, have a great Independence Day weekend. Be thankful to live in a country where you get to pursue your own religion without, you know, any fear that no one's, someone's going to knock down the door. Um, and Ryan, thank you for leading us this morning and uh, being um, um, a beacon and being willing to talk about, you know, generational issues and some issues that are not generational, but they need to be, you know, um, brought up on a regular basis and uh, appreciate you doing that this morning. Thank you.
Good to see everybody. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.